Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Happy Black History Month, everyone. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis. And if you like what you hear, remember to subscribe. On this week's episode, we are joined by Councillor Ariel Kayabaga as we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of January 31st, including... The Proud Boys and others being added to Canada's terror watch list. Toronto City Council stepping up to support the Black community. GoFundMe being used to pay for basic necessities. Robert Small getting his flowers. Stacey Abrams possibly getting a Nobel Peace Prize. And plenty more. So, Ariel, we're about to dive right into the news and Black issues. You ready? Let's do it. Proceeding with one of the major stories we've been following, the Proud Boys have been added to Canada's terror entities watch list, and we're the first country in the world to do it. Thirteen other groups were added as well, including Adam Waffen Division, or AWD, The Base, numerous Islamic terror groups, and a Russian white supremacist group. As Public Safety Minister Bill Blair acknowledges, the group's, quote, Violent actions and rhetoric are fueled by white supremacy, anti-Semitism, racism, homophobia, Islamophobia, and misogyny, and usually a combination of all of the above, end quote. He pointed out that we've already seen attacks on Canadian soil, like the 2018 incel van attack here in Toronto, or the 2017 mosque attack in Quebec City. Now that these far-right terror groups are on the list, it means banks can freeze assets and police can charge anyone who financially or materially supports them. Sarah Tyke, a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute and a counterterrorism researcher, said the designation is meaningful since it sends a clear signal that Canada is taking right-wing extremism seriously. For example, buying the group's paraphernalia or paying membership dues could result in a jail term of up to 10 years. And can I just say, I'm so happy Sarah seems to be more thoughtful than Leah and Jessica from last week. Uh, Ariel, you weren't here when we recorded that episode. Basically, we had two... Uh, we talked about two security analysts who basically said, well, you know, the Proud Boys, yeah, they should be put on the list, but we got to be really careful not to politicize the the process because then you might end up with, you know, Black Lives Matter or environmentalist groups or indigenous groups on the terror list too. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I heard that and I was like stupid. Uh-huh. Right. In response to the move, our guy NDP leader Jagmeet Singh called the terrorist designation, quote, the right thing to do, end quote and urged the government to dismantle all white supremacists and far-right groups that pose a threat to Canadians, saying, quote, we need to build a country where everyone feels like they belong. Those hateful groups have no place in our country, end quote. And I hear that. What I'm not really understanding is why the government wouldn't go ahead and put other well-known groups on the terror list, too. I mean, I'm talking about groups like the KKK, 
Mm-hmm. Or the three percenters, which is an anti-government militia. Apparently, it's because those groups haven't met the government's threshold for a terrorist designation, which no make no sense. So are we happy with this move from the feds or does it seem a bit performative? Ariel, what are your thoughts? I think, um, one, uh, the, the action itself to add even those other groups is, is a good step. It's a good step forward. Um, two, I'm really confused as to why the KKK does not qualify to be a terrorist group. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> We have 400 400 years of KKK's work. What are they like? What kind of what is the threshold that the government holds to to decide who's a terrorist and who's not? Um, And I'm confused by that. And it's actually hurtful to hear that, given that the KKK specifically targets black people. If we are really trying to address anti-black racism in Canada, like they have often talked about, um, this is a failure on their part, and it's very disappointing. Patience, what do you think? Yeah, man. Like, the KKK is, like, are you kidding me? So, like, last week we talked about how Boko Haram was on our terror watch list. I Boko Haram is a regional terrorist group in northern Nigeria. They don't have passports. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know why you put Boko Haram on the list of, of you know, like groups that will harm Canada, but the KKK has no place on there. In that way, I think it, it is quite formative. Very strong, like the long lasting. It's the long, the longest lasting terrorist group that yeah. has lasted over the the decades. Right, yes, and in Canadian cities, yeah. including Toronto. Right, they have a base in. They like they have a history in Toronto. <laughs> it's nuts. It's nuts. But it shows you that this list is performative and is performing anti-Islamic sentiments, right? It's it's really about, it's it's more about that than it is about hate groups in general, right? It's specifically, um, you know, catering to some of, of like maybe the majority or the, the folks who are in power's feelings around Islam and Islamophobia in, in this country. That, that's what I think. I think you have a point there because, um, again, there's 13 organizations that were added to the terror list and numerous one numerous organizations on that list just like Boko Haram they, they are regional entities that have no way of attacking us here but what the government I'm sure is doing is saying well listen we got a whole bunch of white folks who are going to say well why are white groups only being added and here we are mm-hmm. so look Ariel, you, you pointed out that list. Listen, this this is real. The effect is real on the Proud Boys and the other entities. So yes, this is definitely necessary and it's definitely a positive step. But okay. let's go all the way and get clearly and well-known entities that advocate racism and terror on that Absolutely. list too. Jump into another story that's a bit more positive. It's a lot more positive actually. We're happy to share that the city of Toronto is doing more to support Black Torontonians through the pandemic with a $6.8 million Black community COVID-19 response plan. The way I see it, it's the least John Tory could do for butchering Patois on TV the other day. Yes, he also did it along with (laughs) Ford. Anyway, I digress. The plan is in response to data collected late last year, revealing that Black Torontonians represent 26% of COVID cases, despite only representing 9% of the population. To make things worse, 30% of Canadians who are hesitant about COVID vaccines are Black, and most Black Canadians are in Toronto by far, so 
The money will go to 12 community organizations to increase culturally responsive mental health support and support cases or rather access to food and mobile and community-based testing. And for the record, almost 80% of COVID cases in this city identified with a racialized group in November, according to Toronto's data. Any thoughts that we want to share on this development? Ariel, you feel free to go first. I think, um, one, I commend the city of Toronto for what they're doing and investing um, exactly where the problem is, but they're going to need to do a lot more than that. We're going to need, as a country, to do a lot more than that. We need policy reforms because the reason why uh, racialized people are making up 80% of the COVID cases is literally because of a, like it's a policy issue. Yeah. Um, we are the people who are in precarious work, precarious living. Um, there's you know a lot of people who are pushed to the margins are the ones who are showing up in the way that they are disproportionately impacted by COVID. Uh, you know, younger people, women, uh, Black, Indigenous, uh, people of color. Uh, I did actually even see a deeper um, statistic where it was showing like the groups of people, you know, Latina women who are being affected by COVID, Filipino women, because they're the ones who are out there every day, putting their lives on the line and working, um, going to work. Uh, and also like the long-term care homes as well, um, the way it has affected Toronto, like who works there, who's there and all that kind of stuff. So there needs to be policy reforms across the board on the municipal, provincial and for federal level. There needs to be more funding um, that the federal and the provincial streaming down to municipalities because at the end of the day, we're the ones dealing with housing. Uh, we're the ones dealing with, um, you know, jobs and how people access jobs, living wages, all those kind of things. So either they're going to take up all those things back into their files and uh, like appropriately fund them, or if they don't want to take them back to their files, like they have downloaded on municipalities, then they need to fund us to be able to take on all of these um, changes that we need to make to make sure that Canada is resilient to future crises such as COVID-19. So I appreciate the funding. I appreciate Toronto taking that step. I think it's great. And also it will help inform seeing the organizations that are in the Black community do the work. It's going to help uh, with a lot of skepticism that's out there and the trust that people have lost. Um, I actually just finished writing a paper on how we actually failed COVID before we started COVID Mm. because we didn't have any infrastructure in place to really support the gaps that we're seeing right now were there before and they just widened because of COVID. So if we really want to move forward, investing a little bit of money here and there is not going to help us. We need to shift. We need a huge paradigm shift in our, in our policies. So, so jumping to the Canadian economy now, I saw an interesting story in the Toronto Star asking whether or not crowdfunding to pay for basic necessities was here to stay. And I wanted us to discuss it because are you nuts? At the end of 2020, <laughs> GoFundMe created a new fundraising category just for rent, food and monthly bills, which is just wild to me. And I know it's wild to the both of you as well. At the time, Mm -hmm. GoFundMe said that in 2020, community members around the world raised over $100 million across thousands of fundraisers for basic living expenses. In Canada, for example, there have been plenty of one-off campaigns raising a few hundred or even a few thousand dollars to help people in dire circumstances. 
To highlight some examples close to home, in Toronto, we've seen campaigns launched for the Rebuild Eglinton West Fund or campaigns to support groups like Black Women in Motion. And of course, we've seen Black Lives Matter Toronto starting fundraising and giving emergency grants to members of our communities. And this is all great, right? As urban planner Cheryl Case points out, quote, this idea of community contributing to the wellness of others is a fundamental aspect of the way our society works. It's why we pay taxes, for example. But what this also points out is that governments haven't been stepping up to effectively help people meet their basic needs, end quote. Uh Michelle Spencer of ACORN, which advocates for low-income households, agrees, saying, quote, we need real solutions. Things like ensuring workers earn a living wage, offering rent forgiveness rather than eviction moratoriums, to your points, Ariel. And data from the Federation of Rental Housing Providers of Ontario says 2020 data suggests 98,000 families are falling further and further behind on rent to the tune of $80 million a month. Way too much. So, Ariel, in patience, do you think crowdfunding to pay for basic necessities will become the norm here in Canada? Um, patience, you want to start? I can go first. I, I think that like my one of my biggest things when we're talking about folks who are underserved or folks who are underpaid and not, not making a living wage, the, the one thing that I, I'm always really, really cognizant of is dignity, right? We want people to be able to get what they need without having to have, have to post their, their whole life story online and, and, and have to resort to this form of, you know, asking for support that isn't in line with, with what we value or seem to value so much in this country. So that really disturbs me when I think about GoFundMe, because I I think about how, how unfair it is to, to have to put yourself out on front street in order to get um, enough, enough food for your children or in order to, to make the, the, the payments that you need to make this, this month. Uh, Cheryl was right on point when she said what she said about governments are supposed to be filling this gap, not, not GoFundMe. Like I understand our, 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 appreciation for the capitalist system and and the way that philanthropy has been able to to fill the gaps but that's not what like is there's no like robin hood who's gonna sign on to GoFundMe and give everyone who needs <laughs> to pay their rent five hundred dollars like that's that's not a thing um that's what dougie should be doing that's what you know different levels of government should be should be doing should be providing so that that, that that's where i stand on that uh-huh. Ariel, did you want to jump in? or I couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah I couldn't agree more because think about it. Um, why do we create grants instead of just addressing the issue? Because <laughs> we're not addressing the issue. And it just feels like a lot of times governments do that. We spend so much time trying to uh, find um, the next grant that we can create to help people when we can literally just change our policies to make sure that nobody needs help. If we were ensuring that people have living wages, people have affordable housing, accessible housing, and not focus our policies to help people who don't need the help. For example, I often talk about urban planning, how we incentivize because we want more people to move in a specific area. And then we start incentivizing the developers Mm -hmm. instead of incentivizing the community that needs to move there. So as a young woman who wants to live down Town. I think when people are city building should be thinking about what does she want 
to be able to live in this area. Mm-hmm. I think she's going to need transit. I think she's going to need a bike lane. I think she's going to need a really nice, accessible green space for her child and her to hang out. And I also think that because she's a single mom, she should be able to afford her rent. So here's how we're going to incentivize her to move into this area. But instead, what they do is how can I incentivize this developer to build this building so other people can come and live here? The builders are going to build either way, whether you incentivize them or not. Mm-hmm, and then absolutely. you start giving them pay cuts like four, $4 million. We're going to cut out $4 million for every, we're going to bonus you for this. And that. It's like, how does that help us? We have a system that is very capitalistic and very um, profit focused yep. instead of people focused. Right. And then it shows into the things that we praise our governments for like, oh, yeah, we got child tax benefits or we we got a grant to support the black community or we got a tax break. On It it makes no sense if we actually did not focus our our systems on the profits and focused on quality of life of the people who live there, we would be doing better. And we don't focus on that. And that's why I keep saying we need a policy. We need policy reforms, policies that are people focused and that are community based and not policies that are focused on the biggest organizations. If you look at um, COVID and who it has impacted and who hasn't been impacted, you'll find that the people who have not been impacted are actually paying uh, are receiving more money than we are. Um, and, and, and the lower income you fall into, the the more, you know, you have to, if it's, we're con- contributing more into the system than the people who actually have the money to contribute to the yep. system. And it's just a backward system. And I think I'm a little hopeful that we're going to see that change because of the people that are paying attention now actually understand it from that perspective and want to make that change. And that's, that's where going forward, my focus is going to be, we need reform in policies. I'm sure you, you guys saw what happened um, at um, in the, in the wall street market or the protests or the activism that happened in, in, in stocks. Right. And if we can do that, then we, I think they're terrified of us and they should be terrified of this younger generation that's coming up because we are actually people focused because we have been dealt a very wrong hand. I mean, Ariel, you called yourself an activist and I hear that. I like it. Um, You know, my thoughts are that as you've already pointed out, both of you already pointed out, we live in a country with nearly a, actually, I think it's more than a trillion dollars in GDP. And when we also live in a country where all levels of governments give tax breaks to the richest people and businesses among us, as opposed to people who truly need it, it's clear that governments have a stronger role to play in reducing poverty. And I I just wanted to bring up an example of of a way that we can ensure that nobody has to use GoFundMe for their basic necessities or anything for that matter, right? There's something called universal basic income, UBI, right? It's already in place through, for example, the Canada response benefit, which a lot of folks are getting during this pandemic, or for parents, the Canada child benefit. Right. So I wanted to touch on the Canada Child Benefit in particular. It has or gives 1.1 million families over 600 a month per child. It also gives 400, another 400,000 families over $1,000 per child. It also gives another 225 or almost 226,000 families over 1,400 per child. And it also gives another 100,000 single mothers over $1,000 per child. The CCP has also lifted 277,000 families out of poverty, as well as 558,000 kids 
out of poverty. And for the record, it contributes $2 to our economy for every dollar invested and returns 55 cents in tax revenues that can be recirculated to help even more people. It also grows our economy by $45 billion every single year, which is about the size of Nova Scotia's economy. All that to say, there's a model. Let's use it. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Moving into our blackity black black news this week. Uh, last week we started to talk about black excellence and since it's black history month, I thought we would continue the trend. Let's begin with someone local, Robert Small. Curtis, Ariel, have you seen one of those black history month posters with great black heroes on them? You might've seen them in your local high school or only really if you had a teacher that was woke. Have you seen them before? Sure did. I have as well. Well, local Toronto-based artist Robert Small is behind 27 years of Black History Month posters. He has sketched notable Black Canadians for this legacy posters ever since Jean Augustine got Black History Month recognized by the House of Commons in 1995. Now that is commitment. He features prominent Black Canadians like Anne Cools and Viola Desmond, along with international heroes like Serena Williams, Muhammad Ali, and Malcolm X. When asked recently by the CBC why he does it, Small tells them that he was the only Black kid in his Toronto elementary school. He was so hungry for images of Black people with a positive influence on society, so he started making these posters. And year after year, he has contributed to our collective knowledge of prominent, successful Black Canadians. His posters are on sale. And, you know, many schools are open this week, if not next week. So be sure to support Robert by buying his posters from his website. Uh, We'll include the link to his website in our show notes. And, you know, I just wanted to make a a comment about Robert. Um, I, I met him for the first time a couple of years ago. Wait, no, last year. Uh, and, uh, you know, when you, you, you see somebody on social media because of their, their profile, you see them and you wonder what they're like in person, right? Uh, he Not only is he a solid community activist who's been uh, making effective change on our behalf for decades, um, he's, he's just a wonderful human being. So congrats to him and, uh, you know, keep bigging up yourself, bro. <laughs> Stacey Abrams has been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Normally, I would say this isn't a big thing since Trump has been nominated twice. But it's actually huge. 
And it totally needs to be mentioned as part of Black excellence. Mm -hmm. According to Reuters, Lars Haltbrekken, a socialist member of Norway's parliament, said while announcing her nomination that, quote, Abrams' work follows in Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s footsteps in the fight for equality before the law and for civil rights, end quote. Stacey Abrams first gained national attention in 2018 when she ran for governor, and although she did not win that race, she was mad close. Yo, it's a good thing she didn't win, though. I mean, I I can see where you're going. I'm not sure I totally agree, but I can see where you're going. (laughs) True. (laughs) That same year, she founded Fair Fight Action, an organization that strives to end voter suppression. This is an issue that has plagued Black and poor voters for decades and sought to invalidate our political voice. So her work with Fair Fight Action is the reason for her nomination, and we support her fully. Congratulations, Stacey Abrams. Yeah, congratulations to her. She's done She's done the work, and I think um, many of us need to, to follow her footsteps in organizing to make sure that people are registered to vote. So kudos to her and congrats to her. And I'm really happy to see her name up there. Vince Carter starts a scholarship program for Toronto youth. So now I know there's still mans out there who boo when they see Vince Carter. I am one of them. I think think it's time to end that. The NBA legend has launched a scholarship and mentorship program in the greater Toronto area. The Vince Carter scholarship and mentorship program is a $25,000 per student scholarship, primarily targeting high school students who have a passion for sports, music, film, fashion, broadcasting, media, science, technology, engineering, and math. I like that it's got STEM in there, baby. Yeah, man. I, I love that it's not just sports. I was yeah, really straight up. Sports, music, the arts, like, yeah. Like everything. Recipients will attend private schools with academic programs tailored to each student. Jay Addison School in Markham has been selected as the first participating school for the program launch. Interesting. Auxiliary programs for younger students ages 12 to 15 include summer camps for civics and careers, fashion and film, sports, music, and leadership. Sorry, a quote from the program says, while the programs are open to all, Vince Carter strongly encourages the Black community, Indigenous community, people of color, and young women to apply, end quote. I mean... What do we think about this? I mean, like, okay, so that last quote is kind of weird. It's like, you encourage people to apply. Have you have you set aside space for them? Oh. <laughs> like, Come on, <laughs> you gotta You got to signal that you set the space. I think, um, I think it's cool that it's not $5,000 or $10,000 mm. is twenty five. Um, that was what I thought was very interesting about this fund is that most people who, you know, make themselves and, and all every dollar counts, honestly, especially when you're in school. I'm sure people, people know that. But I just think it's cool that he decided that it's twenty five thousand dollars per student, which means he understands um, that these things are costly. And and I hope that in their policies, as they said, it was for <laughs> black youth um, is actually going to reflect that. And it's not going to be a lot of people who. Uh, take advantage of the system that's supposed to help people who are in the margins. And I think opening it to Indigenous and other people of color is, I think it's great. It's a great idea. And um, as long as the priorities in their policies remains that this was for our youth who are currently not supported in that way. But I think it's cool. 
Yeah, I think as you were talking, I was thinking that there are maybe two things that were missing from his promotion or this this group's promotion of this scholarship program is I wonder why he decided to create a scholarship program that's for high school rather than for university. I think that's a really important insight that I I'm really curious about, you know, where where does that come from? What what stats are they relying on? And then secondly, there's no real comment on financial like financial need being a part of the application. Like, you know, we strongly encourage folks who who have a financial need to apply. Maybe that's implied, but um I thought that was also a, a little bit of a, an interesting omission. Well, here's a, here's one more thing. Why is it $25,000 to spend at private schools? Right. I mean, yeah, okay, so it's good that some That was also interesting. That was also interesting with like the private school thing. I wasn't sure if I like do we have private high schools? Do we have that many? Many? High I don't know about that, but like in Toronto we have for example St. Michael's, which is a pretty prominent school, and there's various other even black uh, more church focused private schools. Right. So yeah. It's a thing in, in Toronto for sure. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, what I'm, what I'm, okay. I, I, I'm, I'm speculating here, but I'm wondering if there is a push for further private, I know that there's a further push for privatization of education under Doug Ford. And I'm wondering if this plays into that. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's definitely we're too smart i don't like this <laughs> we ruined it guys we see the ting them but i mean look okay fine 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 let's let's scale back i'll scale back and say at the end of the day it's going to help real people so fine that's the positivity about it right but well no i think it's also our job to hold accountable like these things need to be held accountable like you cannot use a specific group in the margins to mm. promote yourself and not be held accountable so no i think this conversation is super fair um he I mean, he needs to provide more information and he yeah. needs to answer these questions that we have because if we're having this discussion how many people how many more people are having this discussion how many more people are like i wonder if you know, this is going to push on uh, the privatization of, of education. And do we want that? No. And if even if it's a member of our community who wants to help members of our community, we cannot um, close our eyes to how, you know, this fund is not going to help every single black student or indigenous student or indigenous or people of color um we need to have these discussions. We need to ask him these questions because he may just think, I just want to do this great deed, but then this great deed um, ends up affecting negatively um, the people that he targeted to help, then it, it it will have gone to waste. So I think he needs to weigh these things yeah. in his mind as he's making these decisions. And um, yeah, like why do we need to take kids out of public school and put them in private school um, when we could take that $25,000 and invest it in, in their you That's know, exactly. post-secondary education, which is actually where the need is at. I was going to say, or you could take that 25000 and invest it in that public school's music program exactly. or in that public school's sports program, That's exactly right? It. So it's a really, it's a, it's an interesting, uh, interesting way to spend your, your, your money, yeah. Vince Carter only enriching a, a, an already rich private school. Like it's, that's, that's what's happening <laughs> anyway. Sure. So at this time, we really want to thank Ariel for her time with us today. 
as a super busy politician with lots of people who always want to talk to you and, and, and want you to hear them out. So we really want to thank you for your time. And I'm sure our audience has been really enlightened by some of the things that you shared about London, about your lived experience. And we really appreciate you contributing to our episode this week. And we sincerely hope you'll join us again soon. Yeah, absolutely. This has been fun. Um, let me know when you want Yay! me back and I'll be back. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, we really do want to build actual relationships and line of communication between Black elected officials and, and their constituents, yeah. right? So absolutely, we'd love to have you back soon. This week, for questions for the audience, we have a question around ethics with this vaccine. Due to delays from Pfizer and Moderna, Canada is taking vaccines intended for developing countries and keeping them for us, Canadian residents. What are your thoughts on this? Is that okay? If you want to hear our thoughts, support us on Patreon. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. We now have our own Instagram page dedicated to the podcast. Follow us at The Drift To. Black people, we hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Stephen Fissett, who graciously provided artwork for this podcast. If you like what you see, you can find him on Instagram at Scarborough Debutante. That's Scarborough, D-E-B-U-T-A-N-T-E for all your graphic design needs. See y'all next time. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.